to another episode of the Racing Line podcast. Yes, it's been a busy week. We've just spoken about the MotoGP race that took place at Mizano, and now Which we're coming be... out after this pod. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, so we'll be coming out after this pod. But now we're going to be talking about you know the big race of the weekend, the Formula One that took place at Coda, uh, Circuit of the Americas, uh, with the championship going into the race between Hamilton and Verstappen at six points. Um, good evening, gents. And Harry, would you like to to kick things off, mate? Yeah, well, what a race. Uh, I loved it. Firstly, the track. Coda is awesome for Formula One. I know there were issues in MotoGP with the bumps, but for Formula One, it's just, it's 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 a spectacle. I love it. Um, the vibe over the whole weekend was amazing. Um, and I knew we'd be in for a good race after the opening lap. Uh, Lewis taking the lead on turn one, but the highlight for me was the McLaren boys and Carlos. Uh, the racing Carlos. The, yeah, Carlos. Um, the racing between the three of them was some of the best I've seen in a in a long time. Probably topping the Checo and Hamilton one from uh, the Turkish Grand Prix. They were clean, but going for it. I think um, the lead changed three or four times throughout that whole sequence. And you know, Norris was in front at one point. Carlos was in front. Daniel was in front. It was just it was awesome. Um, then after the opening couple of laps, the race did set into a bit of a rhythm with Lewis and Max opening a gap on Checo. Um, then after about 10 or so laps, Red Bull made the decision to try and undercut Lewis and bring Max in for his first stop, which I thought was surprising considering uh, Pirelli was saying all weekend that the mediums could go for 20 plus laps. Um, but Max seemed to think that his mediums were going off pretty quickly. So, um, But it ended up being a stroke of genius. Uh, Red Bull were able to undercut the Merc quite significantly. Um, Lewis stayed out for so long, it allowed Max to, to cut something like three or four seconds um, in, in two or three laps, which was rapid. Uh, I think Merc were hoping for the fact that Lewis's tyres would see him come good towards the back end of the race, which we kind of saw, but it didn't really pan out the way they thought it would. Um, a little further back, uh, Leclerc was in no man's land, wasn't making any progress on Checo, but was pulling away from DR and Carlos. Uh, for me, Charles had one of those really good, boring professional races. Uh, and he said so himself uh, after the race. Uh, Daniel and Carlos were having a, a great battle throughout the entire race. And the fact that the Ferrari seemed to have more pace around this circuit and that Daniel kept Carlos at bay the entire race shows to me that Daniel is getting on top of this car and beginning to perform better than Lando and I think at some points throughout the race, he was going into through tire preservation. Um, he'd be two seconds in front of Carlos, and then all of a sudden, Carlos would be within DRS, and then he'd pull away again. It was just back and forth, and the two did touch towards the back end of the race, but uh, it was just a racing incident, and luckily the FIA felt the same. Um, further back, I think Yuki showed some more form this weekend, and again, he was keeping Bottas behind him. Last week, it was Hamilton. I think he's coming into his own in the car. He's not quite where Pierre is at this point, but he's, he's, he's looking better. And speaking of VB, um, he's just having these off weekends randomly. One weekend, he'll, he's winning. Next weekend, he's struggling to get through the pack. It seems to me like I think that car is not Limited. made to follow. Yeah, it's not made. It's, it's, it's great when it's up the top and it's up front, but... When it's coming through the pack, it does struggle. And we've seen that with Lewis as well throughout the year. Um, one of my favorite parts of the, ra of the race was Kimi and Nando going for it for 12th position. 
you know, you got three world championships between the two. Um, Nando, for me, I'm loving having this guy back in the sport. His race craft is just awesome. And he seems to have some peace around the fact that he won't be challenging for world titles anymore. And he's just having fun. I think he's just loving that midfield scrap. Like that actually is a lot of fun. Yeah, 100%. And, and Kimi, Kimi gave as good as he got. I think, you know, Kimi did go off at the end of the race. Um, obviously, he's not in the same sort of form that uh, Nando's in, but it was good to see. It felt like we were back in 2005. Um, and the end of the race was great. Lewis and Max, you know, going for it. Lewis was getting within DRS, then Max pushing, take, taking Lewis out of DRS. I think Max drove perfectly um, in this race, deserved the win, had pole, got the win. And I think Red Bull's strategy this weekend is what won it for him, to be honest. You know, his driving was phenomenal, but the strategy on that pit wall was just second to none. Ballsy. Yeah, definitely. The biscuit. And I, really I think, think that's how you win world championships, to be honest. I really think this is the first uh, the first race that we've had where um, – Checo being brought into the um into the whole race strategy really did help Red Bull this year this uh, yeah. this week. Sorry, we haven't seen that before this year because he's never actually been close enough. But getting him to um sort of um in, uh, make McLaren uh, make Mercedes ha- have to bring um Hamilton in in fear of getting behind the second Red Bull was um something that we, is, has never happened this year, but also shows that just because Red Bull haven't been at the front for the last couple of years doesn't mean that like they're not a world-class um, strategic team where we saw McLaren have the problems a couple of weeks ago. This is this is a team ready to lay down. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, I thought I thought it was great. It, it'll be interesting to see the remaining five races and to see where these cars are, are at in terms... You know, Mexico's totally different. You know, it's got the really quick Monza-esque layout but also with the you know the back stadium section is really tight and slow and i think it's 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 going to be and then you got into lagos which who knows who who's the better car there so i think this battle is going to go all the way all the way to the end i loved what you said as well about the track because really it is it is a fantastic formula one track even just from watching it like it's 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 very it's very spa-esque in some of its its undulation but more than Mm -hmm. the track i feel like there was a real energy this weekend in the crowd, like massive, massive crowds. And that, that um, grandstand is nice and steep, but um, even mm-hmm. just what you're saying about um, DR coming into his own this week. And I feel like he was riding a real, real wave. Cause he loves it. He loves Texas. You saw, you saw him in the um, yeah. Longhorns singlet and then had taken Dale Earnhardt's um, his uh, Wrangler NASCAR down our stock car for a spin. Like I think he was really vibing this week, and I, I don't know if that helped him in the race, but I feel like those uh, feel good vibes. He's a he's a feel good vibe kind of guy, and that that probably did lend itself quite a bit. If you look at yeah. if you look at his results since the summer break, he's outperformed Lando. I think there's only two I, or three feel- drivers that have scored more points than than they are. I feel like my initial um. Uh, hatred on Anthony's power rankings is really starting to show dividends now, don't you? <laughs> In terms of um, where Dr was, <laughs> Dr was put. <laughs> Dr super consistent this weekend, I say. Yeah. He, he yeah. has, he really has turned it on. I think what we were talking about earlier with you know the whole atmosphere of the event, it seems like for the first time in almost two years, the spectacle of Formula One at the track, you know, is back, uh, and that that that's always you know a great thing. Like we felt how, it through the TV like crazy. 
How awesome. brilliant was Co- how brilliant is Kota as a circuit? Uh, honestly, um, and I mentioned for, this for Formula I, One. I yeah. just think in general, I think for F1 especially because the MotoGP was was nothing like that, although it was good. Um, I think we made the point two pods ago that um, about resurfacing, and they mentioned it again. Um, if MotoGP goes to Kota next year, but the track will need to be resurfaced. So, assuming F1 is back there in 2022. Um, it just adds a lot, another layer of, of, you know, this spectacle that you're talking about, the resurface track. I mean, that track is brilliant. I had never actually paid attention to how steep the first corner, the hill towards the first corner is before. Um, oh, man, we, race, we race that track in our game for, I know, but I just, for two I, years. I, I don't Come on, I've, man. I don't think I've ever really just seen, like, um, proper visuals of it. And, yeah. and the, the shots were amazing. But what you're saying, Harry, that the actual spectacle, whenever... Verstappen came out of the pits ahead of Hamilton. It, you could hear the crowd losing it through the TV. I, I was I was taken aback by that. And I just wanted to ask because obviously I haven't been paying attention to the F1 for a while. But there was that stand right in the center of the of the of the circuit, way above, um, way above the oh, track. Is that new? Because um, yeah. that that was unbelievable. Been just there, the shots been there all along. That, just oh, just incredible. So yeah, something that I paid attention to. I really feel like really that cool. they they shot the fan like that they the way they shot the race with the fans sort of in in the frame as well was well, I think lent lent to that because it was it was you definitely could tell the difference in terms of actually showing how many fans were there and I loved it. Yeah, it felt like Zen thought. Yeah, it really did. Except it, it really was way did. less Dutch. <laughs> but it was still still very Max esque though. There was yeah. still a lot of yeah. uh, um, pro Max. But, yeah. Oh, I think I think Dr was the main spectacle. They love him over there. Well, he I loves think him I, over there as well. I think Drive to Survive put him on the map over there big mm. time. He's he's on all the podcasts over there. Like he's he's just yeah. But you love Dr, eh? mate. I you do probably, love DR. You'd probably argue that the orange at Zen thought was for the papaya of the McLaren, not for Max. I think Lando was arguing that, wasn't he? <laughs> Harry's been on the DR train for as long as I've known him, though, like hard. Yeah. And what's there not to love about DR? And, 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 and we're talking about him performing at McLaren, but it's like we're forgetting that he was brought in there to perform for McLaren. It's just been a bit of a slow start. Mm. But um, if he can find some form and, and McLaren's next year car is, is decent, I mean, Watch out, maybe not a championship, but definitely a couple more race wins, I reckon. I think as as this season goes on, we might see well how it how it turns out. If he gets the momentum over Lando, he might even have a bit more say in the direction that development goes. And that would suit him probably well. well I think are we moving into the um to the surprises and that at that state this stage? Yeah, actually? sorry. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, okay. I, I think I th- I think that's actually a good segue because mm-hmm. I think obviously we're talking about McLaren, but I think for me personally, the biggest surprise of this race was actually um, how how much Ferrari has come on in the last couple of races. I think if I'm being objective about it, um, I think that they've performance-wise, they're definitely ahead of um, a, a McLaren at this stage. And if and if we're kind of projecting towards the next few races, we've obviously got Interlagos, we've got Abu Dhabi. Um, I think that okay. they probably should have the legs to, to, to get third in the championship. You know, it pains me to say it. Um, you know, we, Saudi Arabia is a bit of an un, unknown and um, LaSalle might actually suit the McLaren because it's such a, you know, straight break kind of track. Um, but I think on a whole, 
you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Ferrari take the lead. So that was probably the biggest surprise. I think we're also, as we spoke about before, seeing the very best out of Charles Leclerc in the last couple of races. I mean, he's become, you know, just a surgeon. He's really just getting the maximum out of the car. I think the last couple of races have also shown that um, Carlos Sainz is no slouch. If we didn't know that already, he's really complementing that team as well. And I think, as the point was made a couple of weeks ago as well, the battle between McLaren and Ferrari, but also between all four drivers because they are, you know, really talented and we're seeing them race wheel to wheel now fairly consistently. Um, you know, it's, it's a pleasure to actually behold, to see some really close wheel to wheel racing. And, and obviously there's some, you know, um, there's some, some um, like real reason to be racing against each other. They're racing for, you know, third in the constructors championship. There's three points between them at this stage. So yeah, that was, that was a big surprise, um, but it's a pleasant surprise, you know, as far as the competition of formula one is concerned. So in, in terms of um, just uh, team lineups this year, or more, more for next year, you're looking at these teams and these are uh, two teams, or we don't know what's going to happen next year if these new rules, like what car is going to shake up on top. But if you're looking at just lineups of, of you know, like of, uh, of power, both these teams have got two drivers on each side who, who can step in as number ones. And, yeah. and, you, and you see Mercedes now bringing George Russell in, probably doing the same thing. You know, you, you, can't, you can't take anything for granted. And even Checo at, um, at Red Bull, you, you see that, that Red Bull said, no, nah, we're not going to have this young driver sort of roundabout development. We just want to bring in someone who we know can do the job. Um, and, and looking into next year, I'm really excited to see like where these driver lineups go because there's eight of probably the best of the strong, four of the strongest team lineups we've seen in, in a long time. I love it. Yeah, go mix well. I had, I, I just want to touch on two things that I, um, that I noticed and, and, you know, similar to Harry with MotoGP, I'm not going to see you pretending that I'm some expert at F1. Um, but we've spoken about strategy in, over the last three races and, and Harry mentioned this to begin with um, that I think the strategy um, that Red Bull utilized was, was, was awesome. Um, you know, Granted, there weren't any like freak weather events that, that, that have happened in previous races that, that I've been paying attention to or anything like that, but um, it almost didn't work. Um, but, you know, because Hamilton was, was catching him, um, Verstappen at the end there, but, but it was flawless. So that, that was, that's always impressive for me, um, especially someone newish to the sport. Um, I really liked that. I found it entertaining. I found the whole, you know, the, the whole unknown factor um, until those last 10 laps or so really fascinating, but um, yeah, the, 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 actually the cars behind Mercedes and Red Bull were, was fascinating me the most. And it's a shame that they didn't show more of the battles that were taking place um, in the, in the mid to late races between those, those riders, uh, riders, those races. Um, but for me, the, the, the racer that's starting to really, I'm starting to really pay attention to is Sonoda. Um, last race, he, you know, he had that moment with Hamilton where he was difficult to pass and he was kind, kind of, you know, pushing his car, which I'm gathering isn't ultra competitive, um, you know, to the limit. And then we see again um, today uh, a strongish finish in ninth. Um, so I think he's, sl he's slowly becoming um, my racer to follow. Um, 
but I think it's quite fascinating what, what you guys are saying to see Ferrari and McLaren um, historically, um, you know, juggernauts of, of F1 now really starting to um, be really consistent and, and you see McLaren, you know, with the pace that they have in their car down straights and things like that. I, I think, um, you know, like Harry said, given that all, there's big changes coming next year, it could really um, be be interesting to see what happens in 2022 and i'm i'm really excited to to get to be more involved in it moving you know more involved with f1 moving forward and see to see what happens i think it's um you know it's going to be interesting one of the, the one, go harry go harry sorry. I, was, I was just going to say like backing off what you said earlier joey in terms of daniel feeling you know he, he loves austin he loves america and he, he was feeling that vibe i think mclaren as a team the way zach brown set it up um it's got this real family feel and I think the fact that they've backed Daniel the whole way through the year when he hasn't been performing at his best. And now that now they're they're reaping those results, you know, Monza this week, I think um, he he did quite well at Spa. Zach got the tattoo this week. So yeah, I love Zach. (laughs) He's honestly like the world's best dad. Um, But he, you know, Seidel came out this, the last night after the race or this morning. Hope your dad doesn't listen to this, eh? Uh, he'll be right. <laughs> um, Seidel came out this morning and said after the race, you know, that was Daniel's best performance in a McLaren. Yes, he won at Wanza, but that was his best performance. Yeah. He managed to keep science behind him. And, and that whole family vibe and, and backing your drivers, I think Daniel and Lando, you know, Lando came after the race said, oh, I was crap today, but they're, they're getting around the, the drivers and saying, no, we're, we're doing well. We're a team. We're moving forward together. And I, th- I, I think that's really good for the future. I think that's been the biggest um, improvement with McLaren, to be honest, if you if you think about them over the last five years. Obviously, they had such a storied history with Ron Dennis, and then when it all started turning pretty pear-shaped, they were kind of hanging on to their history as if that was going to, you know, pull them out of their funk. And I think what Zach Brown's really been able to do to the team and, you know, even bringing in Seidel as well is they I think they've become a lot more humble I think when you think of the team atmosphere that that the team has now compared to where it was in the past, you know, with drivers like Montoya and Alonso and obviously Hamilton as well, um, they, they're building up together. And I think that's, you know, it's really paid dividends for them. I think we're seeing similar things with Ferrari as well. At this stage, obviously, they've had a, a shocking year and they've kind of had to, you know, obviously become a little bit more humble. And I think we're seeing the, the same kind of dynamic with Leclerc and Saints, where these teams now are using those two drivers to, to obviously get to a position where they can be competitive. Now, obviously, as they become more competitive, it's going to be more difficult to, to foster and continue that relationship. But it's really, I think Zach Brown has done a great job in actually building the chemistry of that team. And even with things like, you know, bringing the um, Air, an Earnhardt car for Daniel to race, you know, uh, you know, to, as part of his promise. I mean, the point was made that he could have just as easily rented out a, a track in England on a on a miserable day and said, "Here, you can drive it here." Um, but you know, but that really shows, you know, the Does manager in that car. Yeah, it's yeah. his car. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. And he got he flew it over from England, you know, for Daniel to 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 drive in front of the fans. I mean, that if you want to build confidence and morale in your in your team. You know what better way to do it than than through something like that? So I do agree with your point, Harry. I think that you know he's you know not the engineer. He's not managing the team. You know from the pit wall, he's obviously you know, looking 
at more of the macro, but his fingerprints, particularly on how the team is feeling and how they operate, you know, it, it's really visible to see. Um, do you mind if I say my disappointment for the week? Because I we think can, can I touch on Sonoda just quickly first? Just my go for point it. Go for it. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I love about Sonoda, or not love, but I, I love seeing him do well. Is uh, I, rem- I think it was in pre-season testing they were saying Sonoda is is has had the least um, amount of competitive laps in racing of any F1 driver um, like getting there. Uh, so so like an American football um, sort of uh, saying uh, you you just need reps you know he just needs seat time, and now we're seeing with a bit more seat time and a bit of a uh, few different experiences he's actually really showing some the promise that that obviously they saw in him when they signed him. Uh, not to mention that F1 really need a, a Japanese driver in there because it's such a big sport in Japan. Uh, also on the McLaren sort of Seidel thing, I, I think that we forget that um, Seidel is a, is, is, a, is a real master of building building winning organisations. Like you, you, we, um, I, or I forget that he, was, he took a, a Porsche Le Mans effort and he, he, he really was starting from the back foot against um, what Toyota and, and Audi had. And in th- within what two or three years, he had he had that Porsche team to be the the uh, the best of the three. So we're seeing now with McLaren, he's not taking anything for granted, but he's consistently every year improving that team to to heights that well. I I didn't expect them to rise as fast as they're rising. Let, let's let's put it that way. I agree. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome to see McLaren performing well. I mean, that's just the, that's coming from Williams fan. The long and short of it, isn't it? In your opinion, um, Harry, just quickly, because I, th- I found it interesting to, about what you were saying about McLaren. Obviously, we've seen Ricardo go from, you know, Red Bull to <clears throat> Renault, and now he's now being in McLaren. Would you say he's at a point in his career where he's happier, but also, um, you know, given given where the cars at, he's racing more consistently or or at a at a higher level than where, than where he was previously. What what's your take on that, guys? I'll be honest, I think uh, 2014-2018 was peak Ricardo. Um, I think he is happier than he ever has been. I think the whole point of leaving Red Bull was to get in a position like this where he felt comfortable in the team. Red Bull was too clinical for him, I feel. It wasn't. It didn't, it didn't foster that kind of vibe. So I think definitely in his career and in himself, he's comfortable, more comfortable now, and I think he said that. But in terms of race performance, early to early 2018 when he won two out of the first six races, that was that was peak DR for me. Do you, do you, do you think, think a lot of can... that comes down to the car though? Like, do you yeah. feel like we could mm. see a bit of a renaissance with with um, DR if the car continues to get stronger? Which you know, you guys have made the point that it has, and it's, it's becoming increasingly more competitive. Do you think you could see? bit of a renaissance with into with DR in terms of his performances, especially moving into next year. And considering too that um that races are starting to race well into their thirties now. Um, you know, we see this in, in most well into their forties now. Mm. Yeah, we see this in most competitive sports, um, you know, even in high contact sports that athletes are becoming more and more durable. Um it is a situation where he could be, you know, still in the paddock for a number of years. Do you think that there's a there's potential moving forward especially with the rule changes and the regulations coming in next year that we could see um, DR return to um, highly competitive positions in the championship. I don't think DR will be a, a 40 plus racer. He just doesn't have that vibe. He's, he, he just, I think he, 
when he when he loses or he, I don't think he has that drive like Alonso does. Mm. But um, I think that his his last race win was probably his most impressive out of all of them, to be honest. Like because I didn't I didn't really see that one coming, the one at McLaren at all. Like you wouldn't expect it to really to really uh, to really have happened. This is going to sound weird, but I don't think we've seen peak DR. Like if he if he gets a the car that can win week in week out. Like he's never actually had a car that can win week in week out. The races he won at um he won at run he won at Red Bull or the races that Red Bull were expected to win and he delivered. But like that was a car that was not able to win everywhere. Like I'd love to see him finally in a car where he can go every weekend and win somewhere. But I think that's what my question was. I think um what I was saying what I was trying to say was given the tools, if he had the right tools, knowing his drive um, and how happy he is right now. If if McLaren was to come out next year with a highly competitive car, could you see it going hundred percent? Hundred percent. If, I, I if think, McLaren go, Harry. I think he's top top three on the grid on his day. I think you got Max, you got Lewis, you got Dr, and maybe maybe Charles is in there as well um, on his day. But yeah, I think they're the, they're the top four for me. Anyone? Anyone listen to the? Um, what was the, what's it called? The, Beyond, Beyond the Grid. grid. They yeah. just did a podcast with Daniel this week, and he was kind of talking about how he's taken a lot of the pressure off himself to think about winning championships and things like that, just so that he keeps enjoying racing. And I think what we were talking about earlier with the community that McLaren fosters kind of really bodes well for him in that regard. Mm-hmm. In relation to the question that was asked earlier about whether we'll see peak Ricardo, I honestly think we missed the chance to see peak Ricardo just because of the dominance of McLaren um, during the early years of the hybrid era, era, sorry. I think, you know, as Harry said, 14 to 18 was, I mean, Daniel was as, as, as good as any of them. And we never really got to see him in a car that, that would do, would actually, you know, warrant his talent. Um, I think at this stage now, yeah, he's, he's better than um, Lando in the last couple of races, whether that's going to be, a consistency next year will show. Uh, next year, we'll obviously be able to tell. But I think that he's slightly on the decline, not in relation to you know, you know, being nothing, but I think he's kind of slightly past his use-by date. There's some young, fast drivers that I think just have a little bit more that they want to prove, which might give him an edge, if if that makes sense. Um, but again, I think next year will be. I don't think so. A, a re- well, yeah. yeah, I think next year will be a really telling year because uh, the cars are obviously simplified. Um, hopefully, it makes the grid a little bit closer together, and then we can actually we can actually see the talent of the man. I mean, we're talking about him being better than Norris after these last few races, but um, I don't know. The whole year tells a slightly different story. We'll just have to wait and see. I well, hope not. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. To, to be a world champion, not to be a good racer, to be a world champion, you need to have some mongrel in you. Like you really do need to have that that fighter. And I I, I, on, I honestly see it. I see DR has that fighter because he doesn't want to lose any positions. Like he doesn't give up positions easily, no matter where he's running. And and you can say that about no racer wants to give up positions, but you can physically see it in the way he races. So give him the right car and I think he'll do wonders. I mean, I'm not saying he's better than He's he's definitely going to beat Max, and he's definitely going to beat um, Lewis. But to, to to put him really under anyone else, I don't I don't I can't. They're the only two I can see a good argument for. Yep, I'm the same. 
and that's not I, maybe that's Aussie bias, but I don't I think he's given. I don't. I don't Mate, someone on this pod has to defend the Aussie riders and drivers because you guys. We've slept, nah, slept. I, I love I Daniel Ricciardo. I love, I love McLaren as well. I've never, but I've never I've... not liked Dia, but your obsession with Miller is, in my opinion, unwarranted. <laughs> so, well, the other podcast, up here and Miller's and Miller's over Mate, here. It's you, not you, even close. You've slammed. You've slammed. Close. You've slammed Miller and Dia and Gardner tonight, I've, mate. I've never. I've never slammed Dia. Actually, you have an airfast. All right, oh, so Ant doesn't so, know what he's talking about. No, he doesn't. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> my my disappointment that I wanted to that I wanted to talk about, and I think we can have a, a pretty interesting discussion about this as well. So they're talking about resurfacing Coda. I think it's definitely warranted in relation to the MotoGP. But after the race that was had, now granted, it probably wasn't the most um, entertaining race in relation to passing. But I think that the tire degradation that Toda, you know, offered, you know, this week was awesome. If we look at the delta between or the times between a fresh tire and a tire that was even 10 laps old, it made the undercut so dramatic. And I'm, I'm worried that if we, you know, resurface the track because it gets a little bit rough, we're always going to be hindering the ability for these these dramatic undercuts to actually take place in racing i mean i made the point a couple of weeks ago that if we manicure these tracks too much we lose their um you know the difficulty or the or the interest of the track and i'm worried that if you know every time a tracks gets a little bit too rough for a formula one race we just resurface it we're actually losing some of that that spice that actually makes the race as entertaining as it was this week I think the best the best example of what you're talking about is going to tracks like Imola, because that's Possibly. really not a, a sanitary track. But that is that is one of the best, like one of the best new additions. Or not, it's not going to be there next yeah. year. Yeah, but in is. terms of is it? It's on the calendar. I, I love how we've gone back to Imola because that's sort of a bit of an unsanitary track. But I think the the easiest thing is, uh, MotoGP don't need to race at Coda. I feel like it's a better race if they go back to Laguna Seca. Um, I feel like the the argument i think i feel like motor gp bikes don't need to race at the same tracks that f1 cars race at like you even see if, with silverstone in terms of a motor, motorbike spectacle it's not a, that great of a race to watch i think like, keeping, but keeping it on f1 what do you guys think about that, but that's, that's that's my whole point like don't, don't resurface it for motor gp motor, motor gp should just go to tracks that really suit their bikes better and have better spectacle laguna seca in America, get, take them to um, Donington in the US, in, in in England, and and sort of get back to having different tracks for different categories. Look, I think I think the the reason why MotoGP are pushing to resurface isn't so much because of um, it's more is more to do with sorry the fact that it's actually becoming dangerous um, for the for the bike. It's not it's not so much um, that they just want to resurface to 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 have you know something you know an influence on tire wear that was the actual structural tolls taking on the suspension of the bikes plus um the the ripple they were saying they mentioned that the ripple strips in some parts of the track were too high and and, and obviously on a bike that's going to factor into um it's going to factor into the leaning when the bikes come in on a certain lean angle they were saying if the ripple strip was too high you start to get um bikes coming off at 
places this, in them to come off at really this high problem, speed. So. Apparently, I heard this week, this problem is going to happen on every track that F1 cars race on because there's so much torque generated from their rear tyres that they literally can um, shift the tarmac. So you just get that happening a few too many times in one spot and you're going to come up with the same problem. But even in the F1, I mean, was it, was it Gasly who had to retire from um, curb damage or something like that? So like... But don't go on the curbs. Yeah, and I, look, I'm I'm with Anthony. Like, I think resurfacing takes out all that jeopardy of two-stop strategies, takes out the tyre wear. Like, how often do we see these days that Formula One's a one-stop one-stop race? And unless you stuff up the pit stop, nothing happens, nothing changes. Whereas this, we had the undercut, we had slow pit stops. Like, we had the whole lot. And, we, yeah. and it's not, we're not just talking about like a two-second undercut. It was mm. a six-second undercut, which is yep. insane. And that's that's how racing should be. I mean, he granted he came in on lap ten, which was bizarrely early, but by the time he got back, it's a six second undercut. That is what makes you know racing so good. If we're talking mm-hmm. about you know coming in a lap before and getting it just a one lap undercut because they're able to push one hundred percent the whole time, or there's you know really no character to the track. I mean, and I understand the argument for MotoGP. I think that mm-hmm. it's completely valid. But the point I was trying to make is it would be a shame for the F1 race next year, if we lost, like this race was awesome and it didn't have that much overtaking. Why, why would we I, I, want to lose that? Can I, can I say Abu Dhabi, nicely laid surface, um, boring race, mm-hmm. nothing happens. This one, surface is all over the shop, tire wears, quite heavy, awesome race. Like that. that's what I'm comparing it to. Abu Dhabi is horrible. Character, you're, you're you're making a really good point about oh. again. I, I think the only reason why I even mentioned resurfacing was because of safety and and you know how seriously MotoGP takes rider safety, given and they should yeah exactly given the nature of the accidents and the potential of potential deaths that we you know the deaths that we've actually seen in the last decade, um, it, it makes complete sense. But yeah, for sure, you, you don't want to see fabled tracks and, and, and really popular tracks losing that character. It was a really real shame that we didn't see Spa this year because um, I, I don't think I've ever watched a race at Spa um, in the F1. I was really excited for that. And, and that's, a, that's a track that is full of character. So um, you don't want to see those tracks, um, you know, lessened in, in any way. I want to say this just quickly, just to end this. When we go to Italy, F1 races at Imola and Monza. Motorbikes never race at Imola and Monza. They have their own tracks. You go to Spain, they have their own tracks. They race on Catalonia, but that's not even the biggest track in Spain. Anything like, get me just, started on Spain. The only the, <laughs> the only <laughs> the only thing I'll say is that the, these these hot track the tracks that have that are in hot places, they seem to rip up with F1 cars. That's that just happens because the temperatures are so hot. You don't have these problems at Sepang because Sepang's usually pretty pretty cold when they race there. So I just think. Yeah, but the track temp, no, you, you, there's so much rain there usually anyway. But um, I just think just choose tracks that are better for each one. I don't even think, like, if you think about it, um, Coda has never actually been that great of a spectacle for MotoGP if you think about the races at Laguna. I think I think right now the, the big focus, especially coming out of a pandemic, is revenue. And they're, they're going to want to host races regardless of the category at, at the tracks that can host the most spectators and and i agree i think laguna seek is a way better track for motorbikes um but i think you know 
while they're trying to um, increase and make up for lost revenue, you know, code is the obvious choice. I mean, you just mentioned that 400,000 people at the, at, the, at the F1 this week. I mean, that's, the that's F- staggering. The MotoGP that's, will never get that many at, 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 at I Coda. Know, I know, but that, that's, that's, that's insane to think about. I mean, 400, 400K, you talk, talk about nearly half a million people. Uh, it completely changes yeah. the, the That's bonkers. Event. That'll yeah. be us at Melbourne next year, boys. Fingers Bring crossed. Bring it on. Now, what I wanted to, obviously, we're pushing, what, 40, 50 minutes at this stage, which is good. I've got another interesting point that I want to float by you guys, okay? And tell me if you think I'm an idiot. Tell me if you think I'm Nostradamus. You know, I'm, I'm good with either one. Don't worry about You're it. definitely not Nostradamus. But <laughs> with five races to go, um, I was thinking this today, and I think there's definitely some credence to at least having this discussion over the last um whatever six years over the mercedes dominance okay honda and and red bull have been doing everything they can in the races to claw back some kind of competitive advantage and the way they've been doing it you know traditionally in the past is to splice up their strategy to change something new to throw caution to the wind in some regard to you know, maximize their results. And they've been able to, over the last couple of years, you know, get the odd win here and there. I think what we saw this week from Red Bull was they fell behind Verstappen, they fell behind Hamilton early in the race, and they, they kind of took a, a calculated gambled strategy. They pitted really early, um, they got the advantage. I don't know if they thought they were gonna get that much of an advantage from the undercut, but they did. And then they did the same thing a second time. And I think what we're seeing um, Red Bull do is the experience that they've gained over the last couple of years, having to kind of claw some kind of advantage from Mercedes is starting to pay more dividends now because they're willing to kind of adapt on the fly at a rate that's faster than Mercedes. And if we think about Mercedes, obviously they're a lot of their strategies are risk averse because they're thinking about the bigger picture, but because they've been in the lead for so long and, and winning races from the front for so for so long, I think that they don't have the same willingness or they haven't had the same experiences in the past to kind of pull out a different strategy. I mean, we saw Hamilton, we saw, we saw the Delta from the undercut of Verstappen. Okay. And then Lewis went a little bit longer rather than trying to do something different. When Verstappen came in the second time, I mean, obviously he came in a few laps after that. And at the end of the race, he thought he could get past, right? Over the last couple of races, we have seen that that Mercedes does not get past other cars very easily. It struggled to do it against McLaren's at Monza and at Russia. And if it wasn't for the rain, Hamilton would not have won in Russia. Like that's that's a pretty clear fact. So they're, the thought that they're going to get past another car with a fresher tire hasn't been working as well as they as as well as they kind of think it is and i think that because of their experiences over the last couple of years they aren't as willing to change up the strategy or to try a second undercut on red bull in the second pit stops to try to get that advantage back is there some credence to that thought process and do you think that that lends itself to a slight advantage to Red Bull in the last few races, given that they're, you know, a lot more successful in pulling off the undercut and the odd strategy to make, you know, the most of the weekend. I feel like Um, Red Bull had, um, this week in particular, had, had the great ace in their, in their sleeve that they had Perez, who was, who was close enough to actually get drawn into a bit of, um, a bit of the games. 
uh, and also what you're saying, I think this is the first year where Red Bull is fighting fire with fire in terms of just the overall package of that car, which they haven't had for a while. But I think more more than anything, it was just that they had two two cars in good positions to sort of throw a, throw a spanner in the works. Um, you, you could be right that Mercedes haven't really had to adapt uh, this much before and that they've always had pace in their cars to probably overcompensate any any mistake where the, the margins are much finer this year. But I honestly think this this weekend in I just I think that they've got a, a stronger um, a stronger team's pairing in Red Bull, um, maybe more consistent, but also that this this was the first time we've actually seen uh, Checo close enough to to do something. By the second pit stop, Checo was nowhere in the picture. So like I'm thinking, no, if Checo- I'm Mercedes, if I'm Hear me out. If I'm Mercedes and I see that I lose six seconds from a leading position after the first pit stop, right? They can tell how much time they're losing, obviously, as, as Verstappen is catching up to them. Why not change to a softer tyre, run a shorter second stint, and then try to undercut um, Red Bull the second time? I mean... They, they ran, over, they, their second over, stint with Hamilton was, was really short because they were scared of Perez undercutting them because he actually pitted before them. Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing. They didn't have Bottas to play their games with Red Bull. Um, yeah. I, de- I definitely agree with you. Red Bull has had to throw more caution to the wind in the past, but and they're probably more match fit when it comes to that kind of thing. But if Bottas was fourth, you know, five seconds behind Perez, I don't know if Red Bull would have played those cards. That's fair. I just thought that was an interesting, an interesting because I think we've seen over the last couple of years, obviously. Red Bull are a lot more willing to try something different. Now, obviously, it does make it easy with with Botas, but even with um, obviously how they reacted to Hamilton, I thought maybe that was just. I think the match fit point that you make is is interesting, Harry. How many races are left? Five. Five, Five. races to go, and that kind of leads us into um, this, just a this, bit of a. This could make or break the um the season for whoever's going to win this. We're at, we're at who has the best? Now. Who has? But who has the um the best teammate in terms of just helping out some strategy. Mm, I like, imagine how big it would be if one of these teams gets their second car in between them and the, and the um, title hunter. Yeah. Come well, that's on. The po- that's the point I was going to make next. So obviously we've got five races to go. How, how do we, how do we feel like, well, what do you feel uh, the rest of the season holds? Harry, you know, what's your, you know, premonition of, of, of kind of the last couple of races? Uh, well, we know Red Bull's historically been strong at Mexico. Um, you know, 20, 2018, I think it was, Max and Daniel locked out the front row. Um, I think Mercedes would be quite strong. They are strong in a straight line, and Mexico does have those, you know, that, those kind of straights where that Mercedes will be coming in into its own. And I honestly think the, the McLaren, yeah, they're not great in the medium-speed corners, but I think that, that long straight, the pit straight, is going to come into come in for them, but I think um, I honestly I had Hamilton winning, but after this weekend, I, I I can see Max holding out. The reliability of the Mercedes is is a worry. Bottas has taken about seventy three um, engines this year, mm. um, you know, and and they're saying I'm hearing that Lewis is going to have to take another one as well. So I think. If Mercedes don't fix their reliability, then Red Bull's going to walk away with it from from here on in. I think if Hamilton, I think if Verstappen is able to win 
the next race and if Perez is able to come second. Um, that could be pretty telling for the championship. I also don't, I mean, obviously they, we talk about, or they talk about the Honda being a particularly good engine at altitude, which is what gives, mm. um, which is what gives um, Red Bull a lot of its advantage. I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, Pierre Gasly also playing, I don't know, some kind of a role. If, he, if they can qualify that car well, um, at the very least, he might take Botas out of the equation in relation to being in front of him and, and kind of getting him out of the pit strategy game. So the next race is pretty telling. Um, I'll give you a quick number crunch. This might be yeah. interesting for you. Yeah. Yep. So if, um, if Red Bull win two more races this year out of the five, mm. even if um, Hamilton gets fastest laps in every race going. And the wins. Uh, if, he yeah, gets three, if, if, if Hamilton gets three wins and five fastest laps and Verstappen only gets two more wins, Verstappen wins the championship by two points. Excuse the ignorance, yep. but um, so, the fastest laps contribute to... One point these days, yeah. One point, yeah. There you go. But so you I have think, to finish inside the top 10. To so, think, so, so thinking about that, I'm going to say this right now. If Checo is running fast at Mexico, he's not winning, any, he's not winning the race. And they'd be stupid to let him. Um, I do think that the next two tracks will be the best chances for Red Bull to get their wins. Um, but I mean, anything can happen. That's that's the crazy thing in this sport. But you can you can definitely imagine if that Red Bull have been crunching these numbers as well. And the second that they they get they know this this is this is right they're going to let lewis win those if they can get the two next wins they will let lewis win those races by three minutes they will not even care they'll put him in a pocket of air and not let anyone mess up their chances i think that's a good place to end it boys i mean yep. everyone that's listening i mean we've got a few races to go the the heat is definitely on and we can't wait uh wait to bring some more podcasts to, to review the upcoming races thanks again for listening please like and subscribe on all our socials and on YouTube. Please share the word um, so that we can, you know, increase our fan base. And most importantly, thanks for giving your time to listen to another one of our podcasts. So thanks so much. This week we'll also have the review of the MotoGP race coming up. So give that a listen and we'll have an interview with a young Australian driver, uh, Aaron Cameron racing currently in TCR, um, which might be interesting with um, the, the Bathurst 1000 and, uh, TCR races coming up later in the year as well. So thanks so much for your time. Have a great night. Thanks, gents. Awesome work. Thanks, thanks guys. guys. Yeah, have a good night, fellas. See ya. Bye.